Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We need to go back and have more conversations amongst ourselves. Forget with Nick and Mitch. We need to have real conversations amongst ourselves. But we also know too, Jason, that time is of the essence. And the longer that things string out, um, the harder it is for these quarterbacks, the harder it is for our team. And I think that that's, that uh, has carries some heavy weight as well. So we're, we're looking at it from all angles and we want to make sure that we make the right decision at the right time. Liar, liar, plants for hire. Yeah, the longer the decision makes, uh, that sounded like, so that was Matt Nagy talking on Thursday, and I think 20 minutes later, they had a decision. So, that really, that got everything extended. There was a lot of deep thought. Well, whatever. Here we are. Mitch is our quarterback. Vomit accordingly. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. We're going to the Alpamonte Ford hotline. Joining us from the Alpamonte Ford Hotline in Melrose Park is Pro Football Weekly Ubermacher and Shaw Media uh, Ubermacher. His name is Hub Arkish. Hub, welcome to the score as you are the score's football expert, senior football expert. What did you think of this decision? <laughs> you know, Steve, I, I love all the drama around it, but um, I can't count the number of times I've written in the last four or five months and, and again, just in the last three, four weeks since they started this alleged training camp, that this was what was going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, it just, it, there was a possibility for Nick Foles to win the job had there been a real exhibition season and four games to judge these guys on. But once those games went away and they came to camp with Mitch having been with his receivers uh, in, in the voluntary workouts and worked on his leadership and worked on his field generalship all summer long, and Nick Foles came to town literally three and a half or four weeks ago and met everybody for the first time. There was no other way this was going to work out, you know. And, and so what I think is interesting is now we'll see what Mitch does in Detroit. You know, I'm sure we'll be grading him over the first two, three, four, five weeks, assuming that he lasts that long. And I have no reason to believe he won't. Um, and then we'll see where we're at. But I think the piece that a lot of analysts have missed on this from the beginning is that Nick Foles has had tremendous success in the NFL. In 2013, uh, first-team Pro Bowler, threw 27 touchdowns, two picks, took the Eagles to the playoffs. In 2018, uh, finishes the season 4-1, and one, goes to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. In both those years, he was the backup. You know, Mike Vip got hurt week 5 of 2013. Foles came in 2016, and you know, didn't relinquish the job. Carson Wentz went down in 2018 and Foles came in and played great. 
There are three seasons in his career when he's been named the starter on day one, and in all three seasons, he was not the starter by midseason. And so, I mean, this was really so predictable, guys, that I just I don't understand where all the drama really came from. Well, Hob, one of the things that Matt Nagy said recently when he was talking about the criterion for this job, the top two things he mentioned were decision-making and accuracy. But but you're saying kind of erase all of that, that once the preseason was deleted, that this has been Trubisky's job all along and it wasn't truly a 50-50 competition? Is that is that what you're saying? I, I think that once the four exhibition games went away, it couldn't be a, a truly 50-50 competition. I'm not challenging the, the integrity, veracity, or the word of Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace. I think this is the hand they were dealt. Beyond that, Mark, you and I were out there every day. Um, Decision-making when running routes on air, as Mike Furry likes to scream, or even you know when, when you're going seven on seven, 11-11 with no contact, or even when you're going thud, you know, which is a light. I mean, what was the decision-making? Come on, you know, I mean, it's 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 not that hard. And as far as accuracy, quite frankly, uh, Mitch to me was clearly better for the first week and a half or so, and and, and Foles didn't look particularly good. Now, uh, a week ago Monday, Mitch came out and had an awful day. And, and that day, Foles started to look a little bit better. Uh, Mitch got about 50% of the way back on Tuesday. Foles didn't jump out at you. And then even over the last week or so, I just I didn't see anything out there. I, you tell me, because you were right there. I mean, you know, there was no point where you could say, oh, wow, Nick Foles is the guy. I just don't see what they could have based that on. Well, yeah, neither distinguished himself from the other. And then as far as the decision-making hub, just to add to your point about that, we don't know. We don't know what the decision-making was because we don't know what the plays are, and only Matt Nagy and his coaching staff can tell us that, and that's something that they're not necessarily going to share with us. So I, I agree with you on that. And that it's, it's like, obviously, they started practicing a couple days ago where we only get to see about 5, 10, 20 minutes of the practice. And so now I suppose, Hub, the real stuff goes in, the real plays, the real decision-making, the real downfield passing, or at least I hope that's the case. Yeah, I mean, beyond all of this, guys, I, I think to me the two salient points are, are Nick Foles is the best backup in the NFL, uh, has not succeeded as a starter. Mr. Trubisky has never been a backup. Hasn't yet. Well, actually, he, he did succeed as a starter in his second year in 2018. He took a quantum leap forward. Unfortunately, he took a giant step backwards last year. Um, but, but, I mean, those two things were critical. And, and then beyond that, um, you know, had one guy had the opportunity to distinguish himself, maybe this could have gone differently. But, but the other thing I'm trying to be careful with here and to be clear on is I don't think that, that, that Ryan and Matt were were lying or suggesting anything, you know, that wasn't true when they said it was going to be an open competition. I think the public health crisis took care of that, the coronavirus, yeah. whatever we want to call it. Um, I will tell you this, had Nick Foles gotten the job, then I would say that this was never a competition, that they brought Nick Foles here to be the starter. And I think that's an important point to look at, too, because not only would we have known that, the guys in the locker room would have known that. And, and, and I don't know, you know, we're not, normally we're not in that locker room much. This year we haven't been there at all. I don't, I don't know if it's a Mitch locker room or a Nick locker room or a little bit of both, um, but, but players you know, see it better than anybody. And they want to be treated fairly. They want an opportunity to compete. And had Nick Foles gotten this job off what we saw these last three and a half weeks, I think it would have really sent the wrong message to the locker room, and I'm sure that was something that they considered too. 
Talking with Hub Arkish, he is a scores football expert and Shaw Media football expert, Pro Football Weekly editor-in-chief. So I wanted to bring up the fact that players always know. Players know who should start, and they look at it, they project out whether it's the quarterback or whatever position happens to be in question, because they look at it from their own position too. I'm better, I should start. This guy's better, he should start. It gives us the best chance to win. So you are kind of handicapped in trying to trying to gauge the pulse of what the players think. But it sounds like you believe that that Mitch is the guy because Mitch had a rallying feeling in the locker room prior to this. Am I reading this right? Am I hearing you right? That, that, that's, that's as much as I can observe you're reading it absolutely correctly, Steve, as you always do. You know, it's, uh, oh, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but listen, we, we've been talking to these guys. Again, I made the point. Mitch was with his receivers and his backs all summer long, has been their leader for the last couple of years, worked hard on his leadership skills this year. And we did see that. Even, you know, the little bit we could get out of these Zoom conferences before the players had even gotten together, you could see a, a slightly different Mitch. Um, and then you add to it that, that, that Nick didn't get to meet these guys until a few weeks ago. But beyond that, you know, as we've, as we've done our interviews this year, and it's, it's, you know, part of the place where we're handicapped, and it's, again, it's not anybody's fault, yes. is we don't get one-on-ones anymore. You know, you know, so you can't really dig in with a guy. But in these group Zooms that we've done, there was a really telling moment the other day, I thought, Mark, I don't know if you'd agree with Cordero Patterson, where, where Cordero Patterson was asked, Okay, you're out there on the field. You're you're both running back and wide receiver. You're a pivotal part of this offense. You know which quarterback do you think you know might get the job? Who looks better? However, the question was posed, and he immediately, with a big smile, went when when he gave a campaign speech for Mitch. You know, he said mm-hmm. Mitch is a different guy this year. His leadership skills have been outstanding. He's really been aggressive and working hard out there. He's looking great. He's had a great camp, and then he tagged it with you know Nick hasn't looked bad either. Um, and, and really, every time we've asked a player, you know, uh, again, Mark, tell me if you disagree, uh, they've kind of jumped to Mitch first, not because it's the long-range right answer, because, but because it's what they've got to work with right now. And they, they may feel strongly that it's the long-range right answer. I'm not saying they don't. Um, but again, it, it's all the evidence we've had is that this was the way this thing had to go. Yeah, I agree, and it didn't feel like fluff coming from Cordero Patterson, just to specifically zero in on that, because he kind of denigrated him a little bit. He, you know, he said that the last year he didn't feel that from Mitch, that right. he was honest. He was like, I didn't feel that leadership. And this year, so far, he does. And, Hub, I think some of it is is that Trubisky came to the realization, yeah, I wasn't good enough last year. Yeah, No, they did not pick up my fifth-year option. I I got to be better, so... I don't know if that translates to him being better, but Trubisky is also has also been talking, speaking differently this year in terms of having to be better and getting it. And I mean, it's flat out saying he was not good enough last year. Yeah, and, and you know, there's another piece of this that nobody seems to talk about, guys. I, you know, with my Westwood work, I'm on the sidelines for a lot of these national games, and it was just coincidence that in 2013, uh, I ended up with three of the 11 games that, that Foles started. And I was on the sidelines, and I watched him develop over that part of the season. Now, this guy is a legitimate 6'5", 235. And what's been forgotten is that early in his career, he was moving around really well. I think he had a few hundred yards rushing that year and averaged about five, six yards a rush or a scramble. That he doesn't do anymore. Uh, the, the, the difference in the style of these two guys is night and day. 
Mitch is by far the better athlete. Mitch gives you so much more options, so many more options, I should say, with these RPOs and, and tucking the ball and keeping it. Now, you know, the concern is he doesn't read them as well and know when to pull it down and step back and throw and when to hand it off, or at least hasn't demonstrated that. That's something Foles knows very well. Um, but also, I've kind of liked what I've seen of the offensive line. Again, you know, with what we're able to see. But we got to remember, this is a very challenged offensive line. And, and, and Nick Foles, as well as he gets the offense and may have his field generalship back there, at this stage of his career, he's kind of got his feet in concrete. You know, Mitch gives you a lot more options. So um, th th there's a number of things that make the argument for Mitch Trubisky. Where this thing is going to break down is, is by week one or week two or week three, if he is still missing receivers that, that anybody else watching the game can see if he is still making the wrong decisions on the RPOs. It's not that he did it all the time, but you know he did it too much. If we're still not seeing that he gets it, then I think there'll probably be a fairly quick trigger, not immediately, but, but and then, you know, we're going to get you. I'd be surprised, you know, again, Mitch has missed at least two games each year. Uh, I'd be surprised if we don't get to see both of them in, in real games, assuming they're able to maintain the season, you know, because that's the whole, that's the bigger story, the, the, you know, the NFL story that we're not talking about right now as Bears fans. Um, I think eventually we'll see both of them, but, but, but going in, there's just too many arguments for Trubisky and really none. The only argument you can make for Nick Foles is that you don't like Mitch Trubisky, you know, based on where we're at right now. But I do think that Bears fans should be thrilled that he's here because if, in fact, Mitch is going to turn out not to be the guy, you do have an excellent option who can have this team compete because of the strength of that defense if, in fact, they've upgraded the running game and the offensive line. Well, first of all, upgrading the running game doesn't mean the coach is going to use it. So that, that hurts both quarterbacks. Um, but how the, one of the arguments I would make for Nick Foles is this, is that given all the advantages that you foresaw and that we talked about in various ways that gave the, that the, the COVID-19 gave Mitch Trubisky the number one spot, that we, it was eventually going to happen because of everything he had going for him. The fact that he didn't win win that job going away, didn't win it in a route, should tell you that he hasn't gotten that much better. He's not much better than a guy who just got here. That tells me that this guy is one of the worst, who was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year, is still there. That's an argument for Nick Foles. We got to change the channel here. Well, Steve, I disagree strongly because the part that I, maybe I'm not explaining properly is there was no opportunity for either one of them to win this thing going away. I don't know what they were going to do out there on the field. Again, these were almost like informal drills, you know, and so yeah. I don't know what you would have wanted him to do to win it going away. And I do feel, and again, I wrote this at least twice, maybe three times, that he, he was the better quarterback over the last three weeks. Now, again, maybe I'm not making that point strongly enough. I think it was in part because of all the advantages that he had. But guys, forget everything else I've said. Watching every practice over the last three weeks, I would have taken Mitch based on what I saw. It just wasn't that relevant to what's going to happen in a real game is all I guess I'm saying. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying about the offensive line and perhaps Trubisky being more equipped to work with it based on having an off year last year did the offensive line. We had Mark Potash on and he said, yeah, this is they're going to live or die with this offensive line. This is what they're going to war with and they're sticking with it. Do you agree with that or do you think changes could be forthcoming on the offensive line if it uh, does not produce this year? 
Well, I, I think at the end of the year, there, there probably will and should be changes. But as far as sticking with it for this season, I don't know that they have many options. Uh, you know, one of the things we discovered early was that there was supposed to be a competition at right guard between Jermaine Effetti and, and, and Rashad <laughs> Coward. And from day two or day three of practice, Rashad Coward was the backup right tackle. He wasn't even taking reps at guard. Um, now, Jermaine Effetti is an interesting character. Here's a guy who's a first-round pick, started 64, I think 62 of a possible 64 games his first four years in the league, a guard coming out of Texas A&M, but played a lot more tackle than guard in Seattle because of their awful offensive line and really struggled at, at tackle. Has really had a problem with, with penalties and particularly false starts. Some of that could be alleviated by moving inside closer to the snap count. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But he's a pretty impressive prospect as a guard, and he did get a little better each year. And so it was clear they brought him in as one of these one-year veteran prove-its. Uh, you know, it could be the same way Bobby Massey got here, actually. Remember, Bobby Massey disappointed in Arizona. Bobby Massey has been a better-than-average right tackle since he got here. That's why they extended his contract. Um, what I'm a little disappointed in is, is I really think that James Daniels projects as a Pro Bowl center. I don't know if he does as a guard. They're convinced that they're better with him at guard and, and Cody Whitehair at center. They know more about it than I do, so we'll see how that plays out. And, you know, they needed, I felt, to bring in competition for Charles Leno. And I'm not so sure they didn't, in the back of their minds, think they were doing that with Jason Spriggs, uh, you know, who's now going to be the swing tackle. Um, they loved him coming out of Indiana four years ago and were prepared to take him at 49 in that draft in 16 when the Packers traded one spot in front of him and took him. Now it's four years later. He didn't do anything in Green Bay, but you got to remember David Bakhtiari's been an all-pro at left tackle, and Brian Balaga's been one of the better right tackles in the league, so that doesn't mean that Spriggs can't play, but he got hurt the first day of camp and, and again, hasn't really taken any reps. So you've got Alex Bars, who was the undrafted rookie free agent last year, who they moved, well, they didn't move him. He played guard at Notre Dame, but had some left tackle in his background. He has been taking reps at left tackle, I think in large part because Spriggs hasn't been there. So, uh, guys, I can make a fool out of myself here, but I think the easiest position group on the team to project right now is the offensive line. You know who your five starters are. I think the three backups are going to be um, Coward and Bars and, and Spriggs because Coward and Bars can both play guard or tackle, and Spriggs is a swing tackle. So um, if Charles Leno continues to struggle at left tackle, I wouldn't be shocked to see Spriggs get a chance if he gets healthy and they like what they see. I'm not sure they would go to Alex Bars there at this point. Uh, Rashad Coward, they, they continue to like. What we forgot about Rashad Coward is that they always kept him to make him a right tackle. He only became a guard last year because of the injury of Kyle Long, and they needed to move him inside. So they may be better um, at right tackle. They probably are better guard to guard, you know, and, and, and we'll see what happens at left tackle. Well, we've kind of missed the big story, Hub. So I, 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 before we let you go, I want, I want you to talk about the Cy Young for you, Darvish, and your first place Cubs. I, I'm sorry we waited so long into the interview to get to the important stuff, but here we are. Here you go. Go. Rosie, I, you know, I, I'm trying really hard to, to continue the love affair, and, and it's, uh, um, uh, I, I'm happy that they are where they are. I'm not going to lie and say I'm not watching. Um, but, but I think the people that are bearing the lead are the ones who keep calling them the first place Cubs and forgetting that the 13 and three start was all about the starting pitcher. Uh, you know, the big four horses, uh, Riz had a good start and then lost it. Um, uh, Contreras had a good start. 
He lost it. Now it looks like he bounced back last night. There's been snippets. Bryant and Baez have been missing all year long. Uh, the bullpen is still an issue. And after that 13 and three start, they are, you know, now what, 10 and uh, uh, 10 and 14 or something like that. So it's, I, I find it a little hard to get excited. Uh, I actually filled in for Joe uh, Thursday night and had Gonzo on, Mark Gonzalez, who I think is one of the best baseball guys in town. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and he continues to say that as long as those four horses are there in the middle of the lineup, you know, if they can find it, and, and, you know, if Kyle Hendricks can be a little more consistent and then, you know, you figure out that third star. I think we've seen that John Lester is probably near the end of the road. Um, but, you know, hopefully Stropey's got something to bring back. Jeffress has mm -hmm. been a revelation, so it could be fun. But I sit there and I watch the empty stadium and I realize there's going to be sub-500 teams in the playoffs. And um, it just, it, you know, I don't want to be a complainer, but it, it doesn't feel the same. Again, I know it's not anybody's fault. But it's it's hard to, to, to get it as excited as, as you might in a normal season if you know they were sitting here what three and a half four games ahead on September first. Okay, just as we did with Mark Potash, we will with Habarkish, we will get off his lawn, and we will thank <laughs> we will thank yeah, yeah, him for. But Rosie, yeah. here's the difference. Yeah, the, the difference is you know that Patsy is that guy out there screaming, get off my lawn, you know, yeah, whereas right. I kind of like having visitors. So that's, yeah, that's <laughs> right, especially if they, they're nice to dogs and, and retreat golden. So we're, we're in favor of that. All right. We thank you for your time. Thanks, Hub. We appreciate it. Thanks for your take thoughts care, on guys. all, all matter of ball. All right. We'll take a break. We come back later in the hour. We'll talk Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune about those Cubs and where they are, what they're going. And. And the idea of John Lester, there's, I have a question regarding John Lester. Mark, we'll talk about it when we come back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast i thought so i mean i thought against the tigers i had a I had a pretty consistent one um you know it was 
it was on the later side of, of breaking, um, kind of the shorter, you know, kind of late, had a little depth to it. So anytime you get the depth, you know, I don't mind the ground balls or the foul balls going down the, the left field line. I don't, I really don't care how hard they're hit as long as that depth that kind of gets off, off that barrel and, and makes them pull the ball like that. So, you know, th those are positive signs when you're seeing that stuff. Um, tonight, I felt like I had a, a decent one uh, for whatever reason up until that six. You know, I felt like I gave up the, the two kind of big hits there in the, in the six to the, to Ozuna and to, uh, to the new kid over there, that, that ball he hit down the line. I didn't think they were terrible pitches. You know, may have, they, they may have lost the, the teeth on them a little bit. And like I said, that depth and you know, it gets you in trouble when you don't have that. Looking for his cutter, John Lester. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosen with Mark Rody with you. We will talk with Paul Sullivan, columnist, Wake of the News columnist for the Chicago Tribune later in the hour. But we're talking about bring up Lester. He will start tomorrow night, Sunday night. Baseball against Los Cardinales, the Cubs and the Cardinales. So, you Darvish was, you know, clinched to Cy Young yesterday, last night, and doubleheader today, and it's it's Johnny Holstaff ready to go. Lester goes Sunday, Hendricks goes Monday. So if you're doping things out, that's not how you just win this series. That's how you win a playoff series. Those three. Mark, let me ask you about Lester with whatever. There's always trepidation with this guy. But here's the question for John Lester. Is this September or is this the second month of the season? Now, here's why that matters. In his career, he has an ERA of 3.70 in May, the second month of the season. That's the second worst monthly split in his career. Also in his career, he has an ERA of 3.08 in September the best monthly split of his career. This is when you want a guy being ready. It's September heading into October. In his career, he allows a slash line for September that is better than May, and his whip is better in September than May. But here's the question, and I guess we won't know until the month's over. Is this the second month of the season, or is this September? Does John mm. Lester's body know the difference? I like where you're going with that. You know, the Lester's first three starts were good. Four of his last five starts have been bad. And people are, because he's 36 years old, people are so anxious to uh -huh. project his downfall, right? Like you're gonna get you're gonna be doubtful before you're gonna be optimistic. Like you're not gonna look at those first three starts. People are gonna look at the four that have been bad and and not allow for Lester to still be in the midst of what is a remake of his style, a metamorphosis, if you will, to meet with his diminished skills and specifically a diminished MPH on the fastball and not being able to find the cutter at this point. And here's the thing about John Lester. Look, he's a horse. He's a gamer. He's a max effort. At least this is what you see him as, because you see him out there sweating buckets in the first inning of any game, no matter what the temperature is. So he comes across as that guy. But what Lester really is, is an extremely thoughtful, smart pitcher. And that's easy to forget, that this is a guy who, even when he had the 95 fastball, was still more about finding the corners better than anybody I've seen you know, in my lifetime. 
like working those corners and yeah, blowing you away with a fastball every once in a while. But this is a smart guy who can reconfigure himself. And because he's 36, people are like, like hub, like God bless hub, like right there at the end say, well, that's it. I think he's done. Like we're all very scared that it's almost over for John Lester, where I believe that Lester will still have some really good performances left in him this year. Because even last year, he had some god-awful starts. Like, when he's ba- even going back to 2015, when John Lester is bad, he's the worst. Like, he'll, he'll get them. I mean, he had some bombs of games in 2015 and 2016 where you're like, whoa, like looking like the worst pitcher on staff. And then he would rebound and he'd be like, have no hit stuff. So I, I'm not giving up on Lester. I'm not going to be part of the group of people that says he's 36 and that's it for John Lester. I think that that would be foolish. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not doing that either. I, I see a guy who finds a way to get it done. I, uh, when, when you're dealing with a pitcher who is, been that kind of champion and that kind of had uh, that kind of strength and bulldog and been that kind of <clears throat> that kind of arm and personality that teams rely on as the season gets later I'm just going to believe uh, this is sort of ending where we came in on this discussion that he John Lester's mind will convince his body that it is September it is not the second month of the season it is September and yeah. it is time to pitch like it is September, and that's when his ERA is as good as it ever gets, and then he heads into October, and he's that kind of guy. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, 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 I agree totally that it's everybody wants to jump on, oh, he's too old. Let's right. cut his arms off. I, you know what? <laughs> I, he's got to be there for the Cubs. There is good reason to talk yourself into believing or embracing what might be a false narrative, but I think this is a guy who – who knows what September is, and I think he's he's going. I would love to see him show that on national TV because that would send a message to an awful lot of people who are watching that this is, wait, it's not just you, Darvish. And and the, and then you figure out something from there. This is you, Darvish, and Hendricks, and if John Lester is your third starter in the playoff series, the way John Lester knows how to end a season, I'd say you'd have to feel pretty good about everything that's going on, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And how about on the White Sox side of the world, how about Ricky Renteria channeling his inner Joe Madden the other day when you had Reynaldo Lopez out there pitching and it's the second inning and he's like, you know what? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No mas. No more. We're done with this. Marches out there, takes him out of the game. Reynaldo Lopez is bewildered, like, what the hell? And he expressed those same thoughts after the game, and then eventually they put him in a cab and sent him over to the Mall of America, or just Woodfield Mall in Schomburg. And um, that's probably it for Reynaldo Lopez this year, but it just reminded me of what Joe Madden would do with Jason Hamill when it became August and it became winning time that we ain't screwing around here anymore. So I thought that that was heartening on the Sox side of things. I thought it was similar to that. I wish Ricky had said the same thing that Joe did. This is the playoffs. This is we're not screwing around. He talked about being his pitch efficiency, right. his pitch count. Yeah. He sort of talked around it. I would have I would have been much more in love with the whole move. I think he did it for the reasons you say, and it did remind me of Joe Madden. We've discussed that many times, that series, Jason Hamill against the Giants. But I don't think he followed it up with, with the – with the strength of quotes, but maybe that's a different kind of manager and a different kind of 
of locker room, a different kind of clubhouse, and a guy, I'll give him credit for knowing his team. And that's the way he wants his team to get these messages that, okay, our manager's not going to bury somebody, but we know it's the playoffs, and maybe that's the right way to play it for Ricky Renteria, which is different from the way Joe did. So good for him. We will um, we will discuss this at um, later on. We will discuss this after a break. We'll dis- discuss the Cubs and the Sox with baseball legend Paul Sullivan, the Chicago Tribune. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. One bourbon, one scotch, one beer. No, I ain't seen my baby since that walk-up music right here on The Score can belong to only one man, the hood ornament for the Nisei Lounge. He is Paul Sullivan of the Chicago Tribune. Sully, how are you? Hood ornament. Yeah, yeah. That's a new one. Hood ornament. <laughs> is that another compliment? I'm not sure. Yeah, it is. You're you're the hood ornament. You're leading okay. the way. I don't know that you'll ever. Well, thank you. They don't they don't actually hand out busts at the Nisei Lounge, but I think hood ornament. You'd be a fine hood ornament. You'd be a a pretty shiny thing that would keep everybody posted on rain delays. As you, you pretty can. little thing, you Polly. <laughs> <laughs> PYT, pretty bro. young thing. Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sully. So, you Darvish is having a Jake Arrieta moment. It's unbelievable to watch what he's doing. And the numbers are just staggering that he wins every – he shows up and wins after the Cubs lose. And, and that's the last four times out. He's won his last seven decisions. 09 ERA in his last seven starts, struck out 58 batters, walked just eight, allowed no more than one run in any of those outings. The first Cubs pitcher to do that, not since Jake Arrieta, but since Ed Ruhlbach in 1906. This is is having an unbelievable and otherworldly kind of moment um, where we should be used to this after what we saw with Arrieta, but this is everything we were told Darvish could be, isn't it? It is, and uh, well, let's not forget uh, Jake did it for an entire season. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, I mean, this is like uh, five weeks so far. But uh, you know, going back to the second half of last year, yeah, he's been pretty much unhittable, and it's just fun to watch him because uh, he's got so many pitches. And like last night, he'll throw like a four seamer, you know, ninety six, ninety seven, and then the next one's a seventy one mile an hour changeup, and, and you know, it's just. You just never know what he's going to throw, and I think that's what makes him such a unique guy is that, you know, usually the starter's three, four pitches at most, but he he seems to throw anything. I I wouldn't be uh, surprised if he threw an Ephus pitch uh, at some point. You know, he's, <laughs> he's just that kind of guy. And uh, I like that he's growing his hair out, too. We, we, we haven't asked him about that, but he's, you know, he's really uh, – he's got a different look, and it seems to be working, and uh, – you know, it's, I don't see anyone even near him in Cy Young this year. It's been a, in his Cubs career, man. It's this has been an astounding turnaround because it, yeah. it just looked yeah. like it was a complete dud to start. And now last night you hear him saying this is the best he's ever been or felt or been in his career. Why do you think that is? Why is Darvish thriving like he is right now? as opposed to where he was when he started with the Cubs. 
Well, I think he was injured uh, when that first year, and you know he was trying to pitch through it and uh, couldn't get through it. Um, you know, he was rehabbing, came back. Uh, it, it was just, I think he he lost a little bit of confidence, uh, and there was the whole the whole A Rod thing where A Rod was went on TV and started giving crap about uh, being in the clubhouse rehabbing when he should have been in Arizona or something like that. There was just, it seemed like every, he couldn't do anything right. And it wasn't even his own fault, but uh, you know, I think uh, once he got healthy and now he's got a lot of confidence uh, that we're seeing the U Darvish that uh, Theo and them saw when they, when they gave him the big contract. Do you think there's anything to the idea that the Astros were shown to be cheaters and that he got over that, that he wasn't tipping pitches, he wasn't, it wasn't, it's not yeah. me, it's you? Do you think there was, has he talked yeah. about the mental release of, now I know what I was doing was right, they were just cheating over the top? Yeah, I mean, we'll never know for sure, but it yeah. does make a lot of sense that, uh, you know, he got his butt kicked in the World Series and, uh, you know, it's a bad way to end your season is, you know, you finally make the World Series and, uh, you know, you're just awful, especially in Game 7 when they were counting on them. And then, you know, it comes out later that uh, the Astros didn't know what's coming. So uh, maybe that uh, did clear his head a lot. I mean, we'll never know for sure. It's it's a mental thing, but he, he certainly is a different pitcher than, than the one we saw that first year when he was walking everyone. I mean, now he walks no one. He, I remember he even <laughs> said that first year. Right. You know, when we were asking him about his control, he goes, I'm you Darvish. I walk people. And uh, he, was, he was just kidding. But, you know, he, he, he now he's you Darvish. I don't walk anyone. I mean, yeah. it was like 15 walks since the second half of last year. I don't know how many innings, but it's like a 10, 11 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. It's just amazing. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, 11 strikeouts, no walks last night. So la- so overall this year, 63 strikeouts to eight walks. He walked five in his first game last year. So, I mean, that tells you how far yeah. Darvish is, has come. Paulie, bigger picture question. I think the Cubs are a good team, not a great team. How equipped do you think they are to do damage in the postseason? Because... They're probably going to make the playoffs, but what what is the big picture for the Cubs, do you think, from what you've seen? I, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think the, the playoffs are just going to be a crapshoot because that first round is, like, best of three, I'm saying, I'm guessing. I may be wrong, but I think it's best two out of three for the first one, and then it's three of five. So, you know, best two out of three, 81, two out of three, you know, you could <laughs> – lose to the pirates two out of three i it's so i don't know i mean if they get past that first round uh you assume you know they have enough talent there obviously some pitching but the bullpen is still one of the worst in baseball uh statistically um they they don't hit i mean they just started hitting the last couple games but they haven't hit for a long stretch and, uh, you know, outside, you were talking about Lester earlier. We, don't, we really don't know what we're getting out of him anymore. He's throwing like 89, 90. So, uh, you know, I, I think they could go to the NLCS against the Dodgers. I can't imagine them beating the Dodgers. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's just a toss-up with this team. 
We're talking with Paul Sullivan, columnist for the Chicago Tribune, doing it here on The Score, talking Cubs baseball. And, and I don't want to – the White Sox are just rolling in a way that reminds everybody the 2015 Cubs and 2016 Cubs, and you see this team on the come, young guys and, and just and, – and some veterans dropped into the lineup doing remarkable things. And markets said earlier that – Ricky Renteria had a Joe Madden 2015 moment where he was done with Reynaldo Lopez the way Joe was done with Jason Hamill. They didn't say the same thing afterwards. Joe made the point, we're in the playoffs. It might only be August when they played the Giants series, but we're in the playoffs, and that's what we're doing here. Ricky may have done it to, to because he knows his clubhouse better. Do you think that is something that was received in a more emphatic way in the clubhouse and that Ricky Renteria, as we watch him finally manage a good team, manage into the playoffs, if you you see him changing, you see these differences, you see that it matters to him and his moves are going to be different? I don't know. I, I, I look at that one in a different light because, uh, you know, he was he had just – you know, listen. He's been. He hasn't been here all season. <laughs> he, you know, just came back from the injury. Uh, Jason Hamill's had a, you know, he had quite a few bad starts before Joe just said, you know, screw this. Uh, you know, that was basically Lopez has not been good, but he wasn't awful, awful since he's come back, and that was the first, you know, really bad, really bad one. And obviously, there was some, you know defensive mistakes in that one too that weren't so hot but uh i don't know if you can you can really relate that to the hamels one i think the thing to me is that uh, you know just a couple days earlier they had the trade deadline they could have added starting pitching and and they no no we've got uh, you know ronaldo and dane dunning and we're fine and <laughs> you know a couple days later uh they take them out in the second inning and then they send them down to Schaumburg. So it's kind of a mixed message there to me. I don't know who they have down in uh, Schaumburg that can replace him, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a crucial thing to have starting pitching right now. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, I think they can get by in the first round. Like I said, if it's a three game series, they can get by with Dallas and uh, Geo and and cease. But after that, you know, and the one thing about the Sox, as good as the offense is, and it is really, really good and fun to watch, they can get shut down by really good pitching. They got shut down by you. Uh, they got shut down by uh, Barrios the other night, um, you know, the Cleveland staff. So, uh, you know, they, they, they really beat up on bad pitching for sure in Kansas City. But, uh, you know, they can be stopped. They do strike out a lot. So, uh, I don't know. It's interesting. They'll, they'll make the playoffs, I think, either way. But I think they they need a really good first-round matchup. If they get someone like Houston, then it might be trouble. I've got your answer, guys, who the pitcher is. You ready for this, guys? Here it is. Here it comes. 3-2-1. Okay. There you go. What crochet. do you think, Paulie? A surprise party? Oh. Yeah, Gary Crochet, number 11 yeah. overall pick. What do you say? Yeah. You know, it's weird. I haven't. I haven't seen him since we don't, you know, the, the summer camp uh, wasn't real. We didn't see him throw there. Uh, he hasn't, they don't really let us go to Schaumburg to watch him. So I don't know how he is, but if he's anywhere near he was like he was, then yeah, sure. It's uh, worth a shot. 
uh, of course, you're starting the clock on him. And I don't know how the Sox feel about starting the clock. But, uh, yeah, I, I would do it for sure. The idea the White Sox called a bunch of players in and had, like, a players' council discussion before the trade deadline when I remember interviewing Jack McDowell several times when he was screaming that the White Sox needed help, that bring something into the clubhouse, and they wouldn't listen to him. So it's it's an odd change. You were writing baseball back then. What do you make of yeah. the way that? What do you make of the way that played out? I was shocked at that. I think they were just kind of like telling them, "Yeah, we're not getting anyone," but kind of like in a asking them, like, "Hey, would you guys be okay if we didn't get anyone?" And oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it was a weird thing that in Han talking about how they got seven players. He didn't mention the players, but you can pretty much name most of them. And that Reinsdorf was there, too. I don't know why he would be there. Um, I, the only thing I can think of, and this is just pure speculation, is that they were you know, asking him about Clevenger, because Clevenger, you know, he's up for a bad teammate of the year award with Plezak. <laughs> uh, you know, do you want to bring him into the clubhouse as good as he is? Uh, yeah. Do you want this guy? And, and I don't know what they said, but obviously they didn't make the trade. So uh, I don't know. That that is, yeah, we're, I was looking up my old stories, too, from you're talking about McDowell. But, yeah, I mean, every year at this at time when the Sox are competing, you could – you know, go to Ozzy or Roberto Hernandez or Tony Phillips or Frank mm. Thomas or anyone, and they would start ripping the team for not making any moves. It's, right. It's kind of a Sox tradition. And we haven't even gotten to the white flag trade, but that would come later. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, Robin right. Ventura. He was like, uh, whoa, I didn't know the season ended uh, July 31st. Yeah. All right. Sully, thanks for your time. We'll look forward to talking to you later on because this this juggernaut that is Chicago baseball will continue. Thanks, Sully. And you're a hood ornament. Yeah. Well, why doesn't he, the Lise now Lise Lounge could add a revenue stream by making a Paul Sullivan hood ornament. You don't need a bobblehead. You just become the hood ornament, the rain delay hood ornament. Is that, uh, does that follow uh, Tribune Ethics Protocol? I'm not sure about that. I mean, would I get paid for that? by Alden Global and you're worried about ethics at the Tribune? (laughs) I'm sorry. You you might want to rethink that and bring some Charmin with you. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Paul Sullivan, Chicago Tribune. I do feel like, Steve, that hood ornament Uh, could be positive or negative, depending on how you say it. I know, but you can can be like, hey, that guy's a hood ornament, or ah, you are a hood ornament, right? Like it just depends I think, yeah, on tone you know of what? voice. I, in my world, in my vernacular, my lexicon, calling someone a mascot is more of the the derogative, uh, derogatory kind of uh, intention. The connotation okay. of a hood ornament is I'm smiling, I'm right here, I'm 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 there first. You follow me. That's I, I thought it was. I meant it positive. I know Sully took it that way. If I were to call him a mascot, you know, <laughs> Terry Borg, they're both on the Illinois B used to call him the jockey. And that That's right. was Terry's, Terry's reference point. In fact, he, he referred to that several times when they had Sully on the air. So There's only three good hood ornaments, by the way. The Jaguar, the Jaguar. Cadillac, and uh, the Mercedes. That's it. That's it. Well, now there's a fourth. Now there's Paul Sullivan. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, 
what are you doing, Wagner? And we found out what Mama Trash Panda was doing. So we will read the email that we got. <laughs> this is so good. Thank you for listening. Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.